Good evening and welcome back to Editing Aloud. Joining the panel this evening is the Chief Exec of Anchor Capital, Peter Armitage, who I've known for many years as uh, one of the top rated analysts. The disconnect between markets and reality is something we're going to start with. Peter, you, you looked in your newsletter this morning at the S&P 500 reaching new highs. What does this mean? What do we do about it? How does this connect to the economic reality of the global market? Yeah, so perhaps there isn't as big a disconnect as the index, because um, an index obviously has a lot of constituents. And you can really break the index down into two parts. That's the technology, technology companies and everything else. And in broad terms, if you look at the S&P, which is about probably 50% of world markets represented in that, You've had the technology companies up on average, depending on how you categorize them, about 25 to 30%. And you've had everything else down 5 to 10%, giving you kind of a net up to 3%. So the market as a whole, you, you know, is at all-time highs. It's higher than where it reached in January. Um, but, but it actually is following, you know, if you go down to the sectors, it is following economic reality. So the, the futures of the technology companies in many instances have been accelerated two to 10 years. You know, Microsoft said they're now facing levels of demand that they only anticipated in two to three years time. Somebody like Shopify, the CEO came out and said that they, they're now doing volumes that they thought they'd only do in 10 years time. So I think those businesses as a whole are probably worth 15 to 20% more than they're worth it, what they were at the beginning of the year if you take the view that the behavior of consumers will be sustained, which we think it will, certainly back at home, the online delivery trucks are arriving for stuff for my kids every single day. And then, you know, you're seeing companies that are battling more. A lot of them is share prices are still down. So the, the, the banks in America are still down 10 to 20%, depending on which bank. So they are pricing in a more difficult environment. Uh, but I think what's also happened is things haven't turned out from an economic point of view as badly as people expected. So for the second quarter of this year, the expectation was for earnings on the S&P to be down about 25%, and it only landed up being down about 12%. And that's largely because of U.S. government stimulus um, putting money in the hands of consumers. And consumers weren't as badly off as, as people anticipate. Will that hold, though? Will that sort of relatively decent earnings performance hold going ahead? Yeah, so I mean, what you're generally finding is, you know, t today I've just been in a, a conference called Bitcorp, which is a global food services provider. Um, and it's quite a good barometer because they're, you know, they're right across the globe. And they're now back in August, they're back to 89% of the turnover that they were doing this time last year. You know, in July that was at 78, the month before that was at 60. So um, we are seeing qu quite a fast recovery. I think there will be certain businesses that, you know, the turnover, turnover levels at the end of the year will, will might be only down 5% against the previous year. And in, in South Africa, there's some very interesting stats coming through. And you've got to look at things in a sexual point of view. You know, retail, retail numbers are now up on last year. Um, hotel and leisure is down, casino is down, travel is down, auto is down quite dramatically. So even though the consumers got less money in their pockets, um, they, they've, they're not spending in certain segments, which is giving them, they're actually spending more rands in, in pharmacies and the like than they were last year, but they're spending a lot less in other segments. So it's a time for quite um, intensive analysis and research. Just buying an index, um, you know, gives you the average of what's happening out there. If you've been in the right companies, 
this year you've actually done incredibly well. If you've been in the wrong companies, you could have lost a lot of money. Peter, I was actually going to ask, because you mentioned the banking sector, for example, and I think NetBank is the latest one to come out today. And as you say, like the, some, some sectors have underperformed. When you see the shares down 40, 45%, so I think retail is down 35%, even though the JC itself is only down 1%. So as, as an investor with a pension fund out there, is it time then to take a risk in those companies that are down? I mean, I think, I think Louis was down 60% as of yesterday, for example. Yeah. So the, the, again, the, the JSC has got very similar dynamics to the S&P, and that's because of one share, and that's NASPAS. You know, that, that together with process is now well over 25% of the index. So together, those are up 20 to 30% for the year. Uh, and then you've got a lot of the kind of what you call the SA Inc. shares down quite considerably. And the challenge is in SA, those, you know, a lot of those companies' futures are, are much more bleak than they were in January. Um, the economic, you know, I think economic growth, and not just SA, across emerging markets, the economies are certainly not bouncing back nearly as quickly as developed markets. And that's, that's because the emerging markets, and I exclude China there, haven't really got the balance sheets to enable them to stimulate the economy like the US and other developed markets have got the ability to do. You know, if you've got, um, if you've got developed markets, hard currency um, bonds that you can issue and, and raise money and print money, and that won't increase your inflation and you've got the balance sheet to do so, um, you know, you, you can come back. So our banks, you know, banks are really a function, the banking sector as a whole, it's very difficult for it to grow more than nominal GDP plus a percent or two. Um, you know, that if you add them all together over a reasonable time frame. And obviously GDP growth, you know, we're gonna see an absolute shocker number coming out next week um, for, the, for the second quarter. Um, and, and banks, banks are really the, you know, the key driver is GDP growth. All the banks have now made massive um, debt provisions. And the game really over the next year is whether what they've provided for now is enough. I think all of the CEOs will have attempted to try and provide enough. Um, so I, I think if expectations are poor, they've provided a lot, the prices are still very low. And in fact, at the bottom end of the range that they've been in for the last little while. Yeah, so the banks could well... I was actually going to ask you about that, Peter, because because the bank's level of provisioning has been quite different. I mean, ABSA, for example, has really kind of gone overboard. Nedbank and Standard a bit less so, and that's really what what's what the bottom line has reflected. I mean, do you think some banks may be underproviding, some may be overproviding? Um, with this kind of forward-looking provisioning that they now have to do where they've got to anticipate what the bad, bad debts are yeah, going to be. Yeah. How do you judge who's right and who's wrong? Because they've obviously got quite different takes on the outlook. Yeah, look, they have all got slightly different mixes in terms of their book, and they've got different assumptions. Um, it's very difficult. I mean, the, the truth of it is we'll only know in a year's time who under and over provided. But I, I would probably, you know, as a default, all else being equal, I'd certainly rather be exposed to the bank that's taken a bigger provision. So perversely, the ones that appear to have done the worst, um, unless they really are, you know, the, 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 the quality of the books, I don't think are dramatically uh, different across, across the businesses. Um, you know, you see quite a few arguments come through about Nedbank's property exposure. Um, you know, they've got huge wads of, um, lending to what's considered the lower quality listed property companies where they had hardly provided anything. Um, so, you know, 
it's it's it, in the property space it's difficult because if property retains its value perhaps there's no provision required at all um, but if it goes into a downward spiral the, the provisions might need to be dramatic rob you wanted to come in now peter i wanted to ask in terms of i mean essentially a lot of um we've seen just a couple of shares booming on the jsc and a whole lot of them just not moving at all and i think what you were saying is that essentially the COVID knock has been is coming out of the companies in the US and they're getting back to sort of normalized levels. But our economy was was really messed up before this. And if we go back to a really messed up economy, we're going to have so few shares locally that are investable. If you had, say, 10 million Rand to invest tomorrow, would you put anything towards local shares? So I think if, you know, depends if I've got money offshore already. If people don't have investments offshore, I would... Um, you know, I mean, the, the, obviously, the other dynamic is currency. We think the currency can still strengthen a bit. Um, so there are investable shares in the JSE. I mean, as, as a default, if we had, if you had no money offshore, um, you know, and you had 10 million rand investable, so your, you know, your expenses were covered, you'd probably take 70% of it offshore. Um, you know, the, the local markets, there, there's always things that go up and down. So if, if you're able to play it and understand the market, there will be opportunities. And on the local, you know, even if you're negative in the SA economy, the, the JSC All Share Index is probably only about 40 to 45% South African companies. The rest are global businesses. So there certainly are types, British American tobacco, if you like the tobacco sector internationally, if you're into, you know, Anglo's, uh, Billiton, Anglo Gold, you know, those are all basically international companies and the drivers are, um, the drivers basically Chinese infrastructure, that's the biggest driver, not the South African economy. So again, you have to kind of segment the market into what's SA based and what isn't. But if so the sorry, Karen. No, if, if you're very locally exposed to the economy, you're going to be in trouble soon. But we have mass unemployment coming. We have very weak GDP. We have, you know, we're, we're pretty much on the edge of the fiscal cliff, if not over. If you're going to look for a company that's basically solely exposed to that economy and not send us person BAT, you're in trouble, right? Yeah, so it's a case of what's priced in. You know, I, I think our philosophy is you want to be in long-term growth businesses. So, you know, fundamentally, we we, we wouldn't, um, as a principle, we we kind of averse to having big chunks in SA Inc. shares at the moment. But from a shorter-term point of view, you know, it depends what's priced in. I think there's very poor expectations built into most share prices at the moment. Um, and, and we think the odds are that they might actually surprise on the upside rather than the downside. Doesn't mean it's going to be good, but it might be less bad than what people are expecting. Peter, we've had a chorus of chief executives calling for government to move faster, do something, anything to kickstart an economic recovery. What is your take on that? But also, what would it be that government could do that would make investors feel more confident about the outlook? Yeah, I think the question is exactly right. Um, stimulating the economy and economic growth is all about giving companies the confidence to invest their money in South Africa. Um, and all the government plans in the world and getting SOEs right is very important. But to get growth, ultimately, businesses need to take the cash that they're generating and invest it in opportunities which create job opportunities in South Africa. So it's and it's so creating confidence levels has got a number of parts to it. You know, it's the, the biggest thing is is certainty. Um, you know, we don't know what the rules are going to. We 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 feel that the rules can change every year going forward. 
um, and confidence in economic growth. You kind of, um, you know, I, I thought a year ago before this all happened, there were a lot of SA companies that were, were talking quite a positive story, but they were kind of all at the starting line, waiting for the gun to go off to start investing. And everybody's looking over their shoulder to see, you know, who's going to start. And, and nobody really got moving. But economic, you know, so it becomes this, you just, you need to get the momentum going. And that's about sending a consistent message. It's about having IEQ with corporates. It's about supporting them to grow their businesses. Um, you know, I think from a stimulus point of view, something that's disappointed me is this whole bank scheme, this that 200 billion, which they were doing with the banks. I think only about 17 or 18 billion rand has been lent out of, out of that, which means that it was constructed in a way that, you know, money didn't naturally flow. Um, so, and, and that's really because the Reserve Bank didn't have the resources to, to put the proper muscle behind it and banks were taking risk. Clearly, they weren't prepared to take the risk. So it's about consistency, it's about the right message, it's about, and, and the soft factors, you know, being, seeing corruption being nailed down, I, I think it just deflates everybody, seeing the, you know, the corruption news that comes out. And, and you know, the, the, the corporate confidence is a collective of, of a whole bunch of individuals out there. And all around the bra, they, you know, so frustrated with um, where the money's going and, and what's happening to it. So all the right noises are being made. Um, and I think because of the history of our country over the last few years, there's a lot of skepticism. But it's, uh, you know, if, if there could be some positive moves and Cyril can follow through on the statements that he's made over the course, course of the last week or two, um, confidence can change very quickly. You know, there's a lot of smart people out there. There's a lot of money. There's cash and balance sheets. And people who, do, who fundamentally want to invest in this country but are, are looking for the right, um, the right signals to do so. We are switching in the second half to another guest named Peter. Welcome, Peter Bruce. Thank you for joining us all the way from Stanford. Lovely to be back in the studio, so to speak. So to speak. I am virtually. And uh, Peter, I have no doubt that you will have words to say about Cyril Ramaphosa's letter to the ANC about corruption. Was it a sign yeah. of weakness, of strength? What could it possibly achieve? No, look, I mean, it's a, it's a... I don't think it's a sign of either, really. I mean, I think if you have to write open letters, you're not writing to the party, you're writing to the general public. Um, and, you know, it just, it's, it's obviously a, a recognition by him of the fact that he has no way of um, speaking directly to his party as he should be able to, in other words, telling them what to do, or at least giving them what, you know, at least setting the boundaries for them. Um, and what he's trying to do is recruit public support, uh, I suppose. Um, and unfortunately for him, he's got to the point where almost anything he does to reach public support, at least from the, the public that, that um, populates the social media world, which is only a small part of the country, I'm sure, um, is he just gets derision and, uh, you know, he, sort of, he just invites sort of mocking and... Um, and uh, uh, disbelief really it's a pity because it's a you know in many ways it's it's quite a strong letter but you want him you want to know somehow that he's able to say those things inside an nec meeting uh, to his colleagues without um you know without in, without stirring up any opposition and we don't know that now that it's an open letter um 
and it's open to public discourse. We don't know what really the ANC think of it. Lucanio, you, you've been carrying columns by various columnists and, and editorial comment, basically to the effect that this stuff is deep in the fabric of the ANC. I mean, is, is that your view, that this corruption malaise is so endemic that there's very little to be done about it? Certainly I mean, some of your I mean, columnists think so. I mean, it would, it would really be hard to argue against that, wouldn't it? I mean, if, 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 it, if it wasn't the case with the president, they needed to write that letter. You know, <laughs> sort of that. So the fact that even he seeing and, and seeing it that, that, that he needs to intervene at that level of actually writing an open letter to the, to the party's members. I mean, I know Peter says, I mean, I don't spend as much time on Twitter as these two guys do. So I'm not, so I'm not sure what, what, what the public uh, <laughs> social media response has been. But, but I, I personally thought it was a decent, good letter. And like, but I, I think people are looking for action you know, like, on all these issues. And I think when I started sitting here, you know, actually when we could still sit together, when Peter was actually hosting this show, we were talking about the NPA, you know, like I think Patohi has just been appointed when I, when I first started sitting, sitting here. And we haven't really seen anything. We never seen, actually seen anything at all. I think, I think that, that is, people would basically like think he means well and they want to support him. But then they, 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 they want to see the action that we promised like two years ago. Rob Rose, Rob Rose, what does that mean? I mean, if we, if we genuinely believe that the ANC cannot do anything about the corruption in its ranks, if, if that is one's view, I mean, what are the implications of that for the economy, for the country? Well, there was a, there was a column in, um, I think William Gomede wrote the Sunday Times this week, saying that, saying that there is no way for Ramaphosa to save the ANC, that the only way that there's a future for Ramaphosa is if he splits, if the party splits. And the, it's just irreconcilable, the differences between the two. There's the kind of the Ramaphosa um, sort of centrist faction, and then there's the Ace Megashule, Jacob Zuma um, faction, um, and that it does seem at the moment that he's Cyril as a as some as an appeaser is trying to keep both sectors together, and it's it looks untenable, especially in the corruption in the corruption part of our society, because I mean we have so many people on that side of it who are implicated. In various things, this letter themselves, the, the letter that he wrote, speaks directly to many people in the party who are accused. Um, and unless they follow through now, unless they are, you know, voluntarily suspend themselves or voluntarily step back, um, it, it shows the letter has no force. So I think it's this. I suppose it, it will it will reveal where the lay of the land lies, um, and it'll reveal where the power really is in the party. But yeah, I mean, I'm. I'm unconvinced. <laughs> I, I thought, I thought, Hillary, that, that the, the, I also read William's piece with great, uh, William Gomez's piece with great interest. But the problem is that the party is already split. And, and with the ANC, it's, you know, if you're the split, if you're the splitter and not the splittee, um, in other words, if you leave, it's goodbye. You know, there's this rump that you leave behind that holds all that legitimacy and, and inertia. Um, and you, you know, you would want what what Cyril would want, no doubt, would be for Ace to leave the ANC to split the ANC. But that's not going to happen. He's not stupid. Um, and and I, you know, I, I think waiting at the, at either side, certainly on one side of a split in the ANC, is the EFF. You know, which will immediately then rejoin and become the biggest party in the country and run it. And I think we need to be careful what we wish for. I was actually going to ask that, Peter. Like, I mean, actually, I haven't read that other particular column. But if we say the NC has split, then don't we also then just descend into a, a, a multitude of hopelessness, waiting for a split that might not happen? 
So yeah. are we, do, we then, do we then just give up on the country then, saying, okay? I mean, well, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's the prop, prop, Ramaphosa got into a lot of trouble for saying, you know, that his primary job was to was to keep the ANC unified. But actually, that would apply to almost any political leader in any country. Um, uh, you look at, um, um, you know, the Chinese Communist Party and the Chinese leader. That's his job is to hold it together. Um, and the same for Boris Johnson. You know, no, no leader can afford for their party to, to split. So, in a way, it's, you know, probably pretty pretty reckless to be found saying it live on television um but that's <laughs> it's nonetheless what party leaders do um the dnc has split and it's a, the split is the eff and i don't think there's another split um likely and it's i don't think it's worth waiting for what we've got to hope for is that cyril finds you know um what is the what is the uh, finds the courage to to act you can only judge him by his actions, we're not going to judge him anymore by what he says. And the way you judge leaders by what they do. It's very simple. I actually wanted to come in on... Yes. Sorry. Rob? Peter, I was going to ask, I mean, do you have any faith that he will act? I mean, we've had so much time that, that I think the people who did believe that... You know, it's diminishing, obviously. I mean, it's, we're in a terrible state here. I mean, we are on the brink of, of disaster. Um, but you know, I, if, you, if there was no hope, I wouldn't be here. So I do. What is what has happened? The, the PPE, COVID PPE corruption was so bad that it may have given him an opportunity to actually do something. Because what's while Cyril, you know, there's a, people write as if Ace Magashule runs the party, and he doesn't. The thing is that nobody runs the party. The party is at a standstill because the, it. There is no power in it. There is no overwhelming force in it. Neither Cyril nor the Magashula faction. Cyril runs the government, but there's a limit to what he can do in the party. And and if this if this uh, corruption in the party during this disaster, during this uh, epidemic, um, if there is an opportunity in there for Cyril to swing the NEC behind a motion which says, look. If you are now being investigated or charged with corruption in this, uh, uh, and, and you've got and you hold a position in, uh, of state or in the party, you've got to you've got to, you've got to step back. You can't carry on holding this position while you go through various appeals. They might they might back that because they they've been suddenly faced with something so terrible, i.e., they've been discovered to have been that um, uh, that corrupt during a. A, a disaster that they may actually lose majorities in towns and provinces and possibly even the country com in coming elections. That's all they're scared of. That's the only thing that will scare them. One um, hopes there's that kind they, of discipline. But well, I wanted to they, ask about another Cyril intervention of this week. Um, Cyril slapped Finance Minister Tito Mboweni down this week for coming out in support of the Zambian Central Bank governor who was basically fired for trying to kind of get his country to hold the fiscal line. Look, Kanyo, how worried should we be about Cyril sort of not apparently supporting the principle of central bank independence in another country? Uh, I mean, it's, I, I, it's an ancient cultural thing, isn't it? You, you, you don't speak ill of your neighbors or, 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 your, or, your, or, your, or your neighboring neighbors. I mean, I don't well, think we're- Bobby thinks so well. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as far as I mean, I mean, it, I think it was a bad thing. I mean, and you think of all the bad things that we've been talking about now, and this is the one thing that moved him to be very like decisive and, and I condemn the minister. You know, whereas so so many ministers do touch such bad things without a word from him. But I mean, that's one thing. But but on the other hand, I mean. You know, like, it's just a culture that ends in this whole brother-sisterhood thing between, you know, like the, the, the sort of the leaders within the region, which is quite sad actually, because you think that you'd want you'd want his focus to be on the people, because it is, it, in the end of the day, like like a lack of central bank independence and runaway inflation, a weak economy, it just means more poverty. And then, and then I think that's a principle he should have been standing up for, you know, standing up this principle of central bank independence. I mean, he does it in this country. I mean, that's one thing. I mean, for all the talk at least about he does him, it at home, even if he doesn't do it. So you would think he would have taken that, like, that, that principle to other places too. We've got, we've got just a couple of minutes. Yes, sorry, Peter, you wanted there to say a, something. There is a small point of the, of, the, of the president of Zambia being a little bonkers, isn't he? I mean, and one doesn't know. I think Cyril is the chairman of the AU at the moment. Um, mm. um, and I guess he was just looking for a little peace and quiet, you know, in some corner of his of his many um, of his many jobs, um, rather than having the bank, the president of, the, of, of, of Zambia doing something. You know, silly to a South African Airways plane or whatever it might be. I mean, it's, oh uh, yes, you also got Botswana to worry about as well. Remember, with, with yeah, stuff, Rob, Rob Rose, we've got a minute to go, and you wanted to put in your kind of piece about Cyril. Um, not really. I just want to say that I mean, perhaps he was really trying to rebuke uh, the finance minister for his cooking, and it just came out wrong. And <laughs> yes. it's all about Zambia. <laughs> and the shoes. Yes. And on that, on that sort of culinary note. Thank you very much for joining us. That's all we have time for, but thank you for joining us. Stay safe and please join us next week for another edition of Editing Aloud.